because I saw it in patients, I saw it in my colleagues, I was, I was starting to see money problems all over the place and realised that a lot of it was because we just were unconscious about what we were doing with our money. We, we don't necessarily know how we're managing it. Hello and welcome to the Medical Women podcast, the podcast from the Medical Women's Federation, the largest body of women doctors in the UK. I'm Dr. Nathana Bayankaram, I'm the Vice President of MWF, and I have the honour and joy of being your host, as each week we hear from wonderful guests to help you feel more empowered and confident on your medical career journey. Hello everyone, just a quick note before we get started on this week's episode. Our MWF Spring Conference is fast approaching on Friday the 22nd of April in Mary Ward House in London, and I wanted to let you know that registration is open. So the theme for this year's conference is Women Who Disrupt, and we've got a fantastic lineup of speakers, including Caroline Clark, the Chief Executive of the Royal Free London NHS Foundation Trust, Mrs. Scarlett McNally, who's a consultant orthopaedic surgeon and our newly elected President-elect of the Medical Women's Federation, Professor Nellarine Cornelius, who's Professor of Organisation Studies at Queen Mary University of London, Professor Chloe Orkin, our current President of the Medical Women's Federation, Professor Wendy Savage, who's a past president of the Medical Women's Federation. Professor Jane Anderson, who's the master of the Worshipful Society of Apothecaries, only the second woman to hold that title. And Dr. Olamide Dada, who is the founder of Melanin Medics. It's going to be a fantastic conference, so definitely book your registration. I will put a link in the show notes. Before the 20th of March, you can also submit abstracts for posters and oral presentations. And if you are a medical student or a junior doctor, please apply for one of our Lady Estelle Wolfson bursaries. I hope to see you all at conference and now on to the episode. Hello and welcome to episode seven of the Medical Women podcast. Firstly, I just want to say a huge thank you to all of you for listening, sharing and reviewing the podcast. Within five weeks, we've had over 500 listens in five continents, and I'm so glad that we're reaching so many medical women. I hope you really enjoyed last week's very special International Women's Day episode. This week, we're talking about a subject that we usually don't speak about, money. As Beyonce says, who run the world? Girls. But in order to run the world, we first need to be empowered to run our finances. Now, we heard from Professor Dame Jane Dacre in episode five that there is a gender pay gap in medicine. There's a gender pension gap as well. And we know that women live longer than men. So we need to manage on less money for a longer amount of time. And that's why it's so important that women feel confident and empowered to manage our money. Now, if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, no, I don't know anything about finance. Don't worry. You're in very good company but we can always learn, and my ethos is that it's never too late to learn. My guest this week is the lovely Dr. Nikki Ramskill, who is a GP as well as being a certified women's money coach. Nikki shares her top tips for the fundamentals we need to think about when it comes to our finances. Nikki has her own wonderful podcast, the Money Medicine Clinic podcast, where she does 10-minute episodes as if they were GP consultations, and she teaches us about finance using no jargon. I also want to say a really big thank you to Nikki as she took the time to give me some podcasting hints and tips when I was getting started with this podcast. Of course, when we're speaking about finances, I have to say Nikki and I are both medical doctors. We're not financial advisors. Anything we say is for information only and it doesn't constitute financial advice. 
So please don't try and sue me for trying to help you with your finances. We also can't cover everything about finance in 40 minutes, but I hope that this episode gives you some starting points and helps you to feel more empowered in managing your finances. So welcome back, everybody, to the Medical Women podcast. And I'm delighted today to be speaking with Dr. Nikki Ramskill. Hello, Nikki. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting having a podcast. Like uh, when you first told me about it, it was just, yeah, just brilliant. So I'm so glad that you're here doing it. It's great. Thank you. And I'm so glad that you're you're here on the podcast. So Nikki, if you could start off telling us a little bit about you and your career. Uh, yeah, I have been a doctor now since 2009. So I graduated in London at St. George's um, when it was called St. George's Hospital Medical School. That's so it wasn't St. George's University of London. And I went into obstetrics and gynecology after my foundation years and really enjoyed it. I actually really enjoyed my medical student placement there as much as it was really scary and very stressful at the time. Like I actually really enjoyed it. So that's probably why I ended up choosing it and I got to ST4 and became very very burnt out at that point I, I just I needed some space and some time off so they I was granted um you know one of those out of hours um out of out of program I forget what they're called now UPs is it or something like that out of, yeah. out of program experiences and I locumed for the first part of that and then I traveled for five months before I then decided whether I was going to go back into it again and what I realized when I was away is that I didn't miss it. I didn't miss it at all. I, I was kind of done with that. I, I enjoyed women's health in general, but I didn't miss the emotional heartbreak that came with the job. And there was so much of that. The the book, um, Adam Kay's book, This Is Going to Hurt, kind of felt like it was, a, oh my God, this, this is a male version of what, what I went yes, through as well. Yeah. It was just, it was so uncanny how true to my career it had been so when I got back from my trip I made a decision not to go back again and I then started looking at other jobs so I, I did some uh, neurology work I did some stuff in A&E like I kind of just tried a little bit of everything that I found interesting and then met I'd met my partner by this point so we're now married but at the time we'd just we'd only been together about a year and he lived out in Milton Keynes and I was still living in South London at this point. And I, I didn't really want to be in London. I knew kind of deep down that I wanted to go somewhere else. So I thought, well, why don't I try exploring how his area looks like? So I found a G, um, an A&E job actually near him and they took me on straight away. You know, they, you're an obstetrics registrar. Oh, my God, like, come and join us in A&E. You can be a, they put me on the reg rotor in A&E. That's how desperate they were. <laughs> I'd done my ALS by that point so I'd done other things to try and bring myself up to speed with it but it, it was good fun and the team were lovely and then decided to apply for GP training um because it meant I could do a bit of everything that I wanted to do by this point I decided I wanted to do an online business as well and just started to sort of tend to tend to be put my foot into the water of maybe I could do something about money I tried a few other things, but that was the thing that kept coming back for me. So GP sort of felt like the more logical choice because it meant I could draw a line under my, my training. I could become a consultant relatively quickly in GP. I could still do my, my, my women's health stuff that I loved and I still had the variety of medicine. Um, so that's what I decided to do. So yeah, qualified as a GP literally about 18 months ago, two years ago, just before the pandemic hit, literally. <laughs> so I got out just as it all crashed. Um, but that was actually a really 
good thing for me. Um, I, I learned a lot very quickly doing that. So, yeah, and then here I am. <laughs> I think that's really interesting. And the reason that I, I wanted Nikki to come on the podcast is because I came across her podcast and I sort of heard about her speaking about about the importance of money, which I don't think we really talk about. We kind of just generally as British people, we sort of don't really talk about money. We don't go up to people and start talking about salaries and things like that. But I think it's, you know, particularly with things like the gender pay gap and the gender pension gap, I think it's really important that women do feel comfortable and confident in managing their money. And I think it's really fascinating that you are doing both working as a GP, but also being a money coach. So how how did you, like, what was it that interested you to start thinking about, about money? So on that year out, that UP year out, when it gave me a bit of headspace to think about what I wanted, I also realised how much debt I was in at that point. And when I came back from my travels, I had a couple of months where I wasn't sure I was going to be able to pay my mortgage and things like that because I hadn't really planned for the re-entry part of it I just kind Mm -hmm. of assumed that I'd get a job and it'd be fine and I did but I had that worrying period of time where I was still not sure how I was going to pay my bills and it was awful I hated it and and it spilled over into my work as well because I realized I had to do loads of shifts in order to make ends meet and I was getting really stressed and you know it was all just it was just a horrible time off the back of having an amazing year you know it was such a shame that I'd come off of that straight into the stress so I read tons of books on how to sort my debt out, how to start investing, how to organise my money. You know, literally, I looked at everything. I looked at mindset around money and realised that I needed to make some huge changes. Part of that reading was around um, starting a side hustle. And I'd already thought I'd like to do that. It's something that I've been interested in since I was really young, but never had the confidence or the know-how how to do it. And I just well I'm a doctor I'm why would I want to do anything other than being a doctor and realized that actually I had quite a passion in lots of different areas but money was that thing that I realized I had to have gone through myself in order to help other people with it because I saw it in patients I saw it in my colleagues I was I was starting to see money problems all over the place and realized that a lot of it was because we we just were unconscious about what we were doing with our money we didn't we don't necessarily know how we're managing it until someone points it out or until we run into a problem like we go through a divorce or you know like in my case I decided to take some time out of my work and wasn't sure where my next paycheck was going to come from so that's when I decided okay perhaps I could start a blog and write about my experiences that's that became the female money doctor and then somebody said oh actually you know you could train to be a coach in this and it was it never even occurred to me but I had the skills you know as doctors we've got the skills to be able to coach people so I decided to become a money coach. So that's that's kind of where it's all, all come from, really. And it's great being able to do the two at the same time because it means I haven't got the stress of trying to build a business and get it to support me financially. I've got the best of both worlds at the moment, as much as sometimes it is very difficult to do both and it is frustrating. And over the pandemic, it was particularly hard. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel now. I'm sort of, it's starting to become a little bit easier now with with getting the shifts organized so that I can actually still run my business Mm. well it's wonderful that that you're doing both so money is a really big topic and we kind of can only cover um, a few things in in today's episode I think it is really important because you know like you said we we don't get taught about this at all in medical school and we 
spend five or six years at medical school and then graduate and have lots of student loans or debts that we need to repay. And yes, you know, we don't, nobody goes into medicine because because they're motivated by money, they're going to it because they're motivated by helping people. But I think it is really important that all of us are empowered and confident in managing our own finances. So Nikki, it would be great if you could speak to us about the kind of like fundamental things that we should think about when we are sort of organising and planning our money. Mm, yeah, it's, it, it sort of struck me when you were saying that, that I think a lot of people that go into medicine are the kind of nurturer how the nurturer uh, personality types what I was trying to cook the word I was finding so I as part of my coaching I, I've trained in something called the sacred money archetype so this is there are eight different personality types that we all have but three of them have got a bigger impact on how we do money and how we do everything and a lot of healthcare workers tend to fall into that nurture category. They want to help other people. They, they want to empower other people. You know, we didn't, as you said, we didn't go into medicine because we wanted to make money. But because of that, such amazing, you know, because of that lovely personality we've got, a big heart, it means that we perhaps don't question things as much. So when it comes to salary, we might not necessarily question whether or not we're being paid well, particularly if you're a locum. Um, as a locum GP, I've, I, I kind of asked a lot of people before I, I put my salary requests in because I didn't want to be in a situation where I'd been underpaid. I, I knew mm-hmm. when I got into that, I was like, no, I'm not going to be one of those GPs. I'm going to find out how much I should be earning. So I asked some of my colleagues and I was very open about it with them. And because that's the that's part of the problem if we don't if we're not having these conversations with each other how do we know whether or not we're being, you're being paid properly or not it's different when you're kind of going through the f1 f2 kind of stages because it's set by it's a standardized standardization isn't it so it's already set for us so we know but it's when you're starting to go out into locum work are you asking for what you're worth um or are you accepting a lower amount so i remember doing exactly the same job as another doctor and was being paid £200 more per, per session than she was because she hadn't factored in her pension and she'd asked for a lower hourly rate. So that can be the big difference to your pension. It can be a really big difference to your standard of life if you're having to do a lot more shifts in order to cover the yeah. same amount of money. So I'd say one of, the, one of the things that we have to be aware of is that as doctors and other healthcare professionals, we are very valuable. We're very, very valuable people. So when you are negotiating anything make sure that you're negotiating with the knowledge by comparing yourself to other people especially women we have to know what's going on so ask your male counterparts what are they doing and find out that's if you're in the locum stage anyway medical students obviously not going to be as worried about that but the second piece of advice that i i've got that i i picked this one up at a conference i went to i met a doctor who was well into financial freedom he was a surgeon in america where they work they they earn like six figure salaries like three hundred thousand dollars a year or something ridiculous but they're working 120 hours a week like they are literally working time for that and he said as a medical student when you go up to your first paid job you still carry on living like a medical student so that you are keeping your your outgoings low and your salary is higher and that gap you use to save and invest and then when you become an F1, F2, F, you know, F3, you're going into your first specialty job, rather than increase your lifestyle up to that, you go to the, the grade below. So when you get to your first specialty job, you're, you're living like an F1. When you get to your 
senior registrar, you're living like a junior registrar, you know, it's so, so what you're doing is you're not, you're not falling into spending creep, which is what a lot of doctors do. And I've seen a lot of my colleagues do that. And they, the kid goes to private school and they've got the nice house and they've got the fancy cars and, and everything. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But the problem comes when you then have to work more hours in order to make ends meet. You know, you get sick because you get burnt out or something happens. You know, I think money is a big contributor to burnout amongst healthcare professionals because it's so easy to pick up extra shifts. Well, I mean, they're throwing at them, throwing them at us at the moment, aren't they? Because of COVID and everything yeah. and all the, and the staffing. So it's very easy to get burnt out. And it, if you're tempted by the extra money because it will help to pay for school fees or whatever, then no wonder people are getting burnt out. Whereas if you're living well below your means and you ha don't have to take on extra shifts, then do you? Or you don't have to worry, oh, I, I, need, a, I need a day off or we need to take a holiday or whatever it is, because you, you can just do it, um, which I know is easier than done, <laughs> but it's just being mindful of the spending. So that was the second thing that I, I'd come across. The third thing was around the student loans. So if you've got a big student loan, it's worth exploring whether or not you actually have to pay that back. And if you, there's no point getting stressed about it in the UK because our loans are not the same as, a, say, America, where it is literally like taking out a car loan every single year and you have to pay it back no matter what. In this country, you don't have to pay it back until you earn a certain amount. And then even then, it's only a small percentage of actually what you're earning. And then after, I think it's until you're what, 60, 65, it then wipes, doesn't it? I can't remember the exact answer. Yep, I, th I think it is, yeah. Yeah, so yes, the interest rates are there, but it's it's more like a tax in the UK. It's not really, it's not really like a loan. So I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about having to clear your loans or anything like that. There's a really great article by Martin Lewis who talks he talks all about this and there's a calculator you can actually work out what type of loan you're on and it will he'll tell you whether or not you should be ex paying extra or whatever. So that's kind of specifics towards the healthcare professionals. But everyone needs to budget. Everybody needs to learn how to invest, particularly women. And everyone needs to have an emergency fund for, for rainy days. So they are my tips, my top tips there. <laughs> well, I think they're really helpful top tips. Can we speak a little bit about investing? Because I, I think I think that's something that will be helpful for our listeners. So our listeners range from medical students and junior doctors right at the beginning of their career all the way up to uh, retired doctors. So there's a whole range. But I think it is important because I think whenever I look at the data on this, women are, are generally very good at saving and much more likely to save, but less likely to invest. And I think I do hear it given as an explanation for, or part of an explanation for why there is that gender pension gap between men and women. So I think it's really important for us to, to speak about and understand this. So could you talk to us a little bit about investing? Mm, absolutely. I mean, those of us who are in the NHS pension are very lucky. Um, you speak to any financial advisor, the majority of them will say stay in the NHS pension because of the benefits that we get. And we don't necessarily see those benefits but if you have ever had a look at your statement it will say the if if you purchase this on the open market so if you'd paid for this privately this is how much you would have had to have spent in order to achieve this level of benefits when you actually see that you end up with a pension pot that's like two hundred and fifty thousand or whatever really early on in your career it's not really two hundred and fifty thousand. you couldn't take it out and create two hundred and fifty thousand pounds but in order to have created that, other people who are not in the NHS would have had to spend all that money 
just to get what we've got. So we're really lucky. So if you're not in the NHS pension, please go and get into the NHS pension. If you need to talk it through with someone, talk it through with a financial advisor that's got experience in the NHS pension, just to make sure it's all sensible for your particular set of circumstances. But a lot of them will just say, no, get into it. You know, it's not even anything that they worry about so much. When it comes to investing, I use investing as a top up. So you've got the NHS pension. Great. How much is that expected to bring you in every single month? If you don't know, you need to find out what your statement is. So go and have a look for your statement so you know roughly where you're at every year. If it's only going to pay you out £1,000 a month and you want £3,000 a month to live on your retirement, then you've got a gap of £2,000. Now, your estate pension is going to take a little bit of that, but there's still a gap. So unless you're putting money into property for buy to lets or you're doing some kind of stocks and shares investing, there is going to be that gap and you're going to be living off a thousand pounds a month. Maybe in retirement, you can do that if you've got that kind of lifestyle. But if you don't and you want something different, then you have to explore the idea of investing your money because you cannot save your way to that chunk of money. Because, I mean, let's face it, interest rates are rubbish right now on our savings and inflation rates are really high right now. We're used to having really low inflation rates, but they're going up and up and up. So what's happening is the, the buying power of the money that we've got sat in our savings accounts is going down and down and down. So £50,000 today is not going to give you £50,000 worth of goods in 20 years time, 50 years time. The only way to get beyond that and to actually go above inflation as much as you possibly can is through investing. And if women are not earning as much or there's a gap in how much they're being paid on a locum basis or something like that, or they're just not learning how to do it because let's face it, most of it's been male dominated until this point. I think I read a statistic today, it was something like 18% of financial planners are female. And that, and you think, well, actually no wonder we've got an issue because if, if most of the people we're seeing as experts are male, we might not resonate with that. It doesn't it might not be something we actually can listen to. So essentially to plug the gap between what your pension, your workplace pension is going to get you and what you want, you have to learn how to invest. It's, it's just a fundamental skill that we all need to learn. And have you got any advice for how people can get started learning about investing? Because, you know, pe- people might hear that and think, oh my goodness, I've got enough stuff to do with all like the shifts that I'm working and ARCP and um, all my e-portfolio stuff that I have to do, how am I going to find time to, to do this as well? So it'd be really helpful to hear your tips. Yeah, it's it can feel really overwhelming, which is why getting a coach, someone like me, can be helpful because it means you're shortcutting things. You're not having to go off and do all the information yourself. You can, If you resonate with somebody, they can help you and guide you with that. If you want a simple book to read, something like that, Vicky Robin has got a really good book, which is Your Money or Your Life, it's called. And then you've also got J.L. Collins' The Simple Path to Wealth. They're both really, they're both American-based books. So it's not, it's good for the UK for a lot of the, the kind of basic knowledge. But when it comes to investing, you kind of have to extrapolate a little bit from that. Mm-hmm. But you can go on to different broker platform websites like Hargreaves Lansdowne and Vanguard and um, Fidelity and just read what they've got on there. There's, they've got lots of really helpful articles on, on these different things. The problem with doing that is that 
you want to understand about the different broker platforms start investing you need one of these in order to get going you can't just rock up to the stock market and buy whatever you want off the shelf like you have to have a go-between person so either you have a financial advisor that does that for you or you find a platform like vanguard that does it for you but you have to pick which one you want yourself so it's a bit like going into tesco's and having your click and click person picking up all your stuff for you <clears throat> so yes yeah, so there are books you can read and um, there are podcasts you can listen to you can come and um, find my freebie that I've got on my website if you if you want to come and, and listen to what I have to say on it there are different types of investing so I talk about index tracker investing which is more passive because I know that doctors are busy most women are full of the, all, everything else in their head is like school and children and ev everything else they need to do rather than thinking about their investments. So the way that I teach it is very much a hands-off approach. Once you've set it up, you can just review it a couple of times a year and just make sure that you're okay with that. So if you want to come and learn from me, by all means, come and look at my freebies at my website to help you. But there's so much information out there. You just have to find something that you gel with and follow that through. Thank you, Nikki. I think that's that's really helpful. And you know, I feel like I'm coming across quite a lot of this stuff now that I wish that I had known like a few years ago when I had just, just graduated because <laughs> you think, oh, I wish I could go back in time and start then, which is why I thought it was really important to have this conversation and get more medical women thinking about their, their finances because, yeah, I think it's it's really, really important that we're all empowered and, and confident in, in managing them. The nice thing is the earlier you start, the better it is. So even medical students listening thinking, oh, I've got no money to do anything other than you know go out on a friday night or something that's it totally hear you on that one but if you can still put something aside you're practicing for when you have more money to put aside and the the earlier you can start the the smaller amount you actually have to put in the later you start the more you have to put in so it's it's paradoxical that unfortunately when we start to learn these things we've got more money but yeah we've also got more debts and we've got more, more liabilities and things like that and we're older as well which gives us less time so the younger you are if you are a medical student listening to this please go and find some stuff about this and learn about it because it'd be really good for you when you start as an f1 because you can start investing straight away even if it's like 25 pounds a month you could start yeah absolutely uh, i think you know as as a medical student, I definitely wasn't thinking about salary or investment or anything. I think it was just getting through the exams and everything else that you have to do in medical school. But absolutely, if you're empowered to start that right from the beginning of your career, it just puts you in, in a much better position. So thank you for that. Do you have any other, I mean, I know you've got lots and lots of top tips um, to do with finance, but are there any other specific things that you need, that you think that we need to kind of start thinking about I think you need to just give yourself some space to actually look at this properly one of the reasons why I got myself into such a bad problem with debt all the way through medical school and beyond when I first started working is because I didn't really I was had no interest in looking at my numbers at all I gave all of my um, information everything away to my then partner who thankfully is not the one I'm with now and just let him deal with it and I had no idea about how much we were spending on our bills, how much I was, you know, it was going into our savings. I still to this day do not know what he was doing with our money. And he may well have been very straight laced about it and did everything right and everything was fine. But I still don't know what happened to it. And I would never, ever, ever be in that situation again. So 
if you haven't had a chance to sit down with your numbers and actually just see what's going on, how much is coming out, how much is going in, that's going to give you so much information. And then you can look at things like your credit score. What's that doing right now? What can you do to make that better? Because a lot of the things that you do to make that better can also make the rest of your finances better. What's your current net worth? How much have you got in, in debt? How much have you got in your assets? These are all numbers that might sound freaky when you first hear them, but actually give you so much really useful information. So financial literacy and actually having an understanding of the numbers is a really good place to start. And it's not all about Bitcoin and NFTs and all, all this kind of sexy stuff that's going on right now. It's not about that. It's about the the small things, the small little habits you can put in place, which is why it's so good for everybody to do this exercise, no matter who you are, because everyone can learn something about what they're doing. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. So, uh, Nikki, I've just got some quick fire questions for you, if that's OK. You've already mentioned a couple of really helpful books and we'll put the links to those in the show notes. Um, are there any other books um, in general that don't have to be about finance or about medicine, but any uh, specific books that you would recommend for people to read? So this is like a personal development book generally, and it's all about habit forming. So this is one of the things that I do with my coaching clients and my group coaching clients. It's it's not about the end goal. It's about the little habits you're putting in place on the way to the end goal, because, you know, creating a, a pot of a thousand pounds takes a long time. It takes 20 years 30 years 40 years depending on when you start and how much you put in if that's what you want not everyone does but if you did want that it takes a long time so you've got to put habits in place so it's about who you are who you are becoming along the journey as opposed to jumping to the thousand pounds a million pound mark at the end so the book is called atomic habits by james clear if you've never read it before it's great for any habit you're trying to form whether that's being healthier or anything but there's so much in it you could apply to money so yeah it's one of my it's the non non-money book but it's still very helpful for for your finances yeah thank you i um i read that book around this time last year and found it really really helpful so i would um echo the the recommendation <laughs> um and actually while you were speaking there i just thought of another question which isn't one of the quick fire questions but i just wondered as a money coach because you are a money coach to women not just women doctors are there specific themes that come up when you're when you're coaching women just so that people can kind of feel reassured if they also have, have similar things that come up for them yeah so usually so one of the things that I do when I'm onboarding someone is I give them a spreadsheet to fill out and a net worth spreadsheet to fill out as well and often it comes back with so many holes in it because people don't actually know so it's not it's not uncommon for somebody to literally have no idea about how their money is being spent, um, to have no idea how much is in their pension, to have no, how, no idea how much is on all their credit cards or what their interest rates are on their credit cards or anything. So if you're, if you're listening to this thinking, I wouldn't know that either, don't you're not on your own. <laughs> Honestly, you really are not on your own. So many people just have no clue. But even if people do have an idea, they're still guesstimating. They're still putting like, a, you see a lot of like round numbers, like zeros on the end of things, because it's just like, oh, it's about that. Or when they're doing the budget, they're not thinking about the, the quarterly or the six monthly or the annual type expenses. So they might think their budget balances. And then you say, well, what about your car insurance that comes out once a year? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So then suddenly the budget doesn't look quite so good because you're having to take money and put them into savings accounts in order to adjust for all of these other expenses that are coming up so I'd say that's one of the more common things that comes up with people plus the kind of 
the fear factor of finding out what's going on with their numbers. And I had the same thing. I felt really fearful. The first time I worked out my net worth, I nearly fell off my chair. <laughs> it, was, it was awful. It was at minus 60,000 pounds. It was just oh, horrible. But it changes when you make the changes and make the shifts. It does over time. It just it just takes time. Thank you. And I think just just getting started as well, you know, people might be listening and thinking, oh, my goodness, I don't really want to know what that number is, because if it's awful, what am I going to do about it? But but just looking and getting started is kind of how you how you start improving on, on that score, isn't it? So so thank you. I'll, I'll go back to my quick fire questions now. I'm just going off topic. Um, so my next question is, is there anything you know now that you wish you had known earlier on in your career? Oh, I think it's about what lifestyle I wanted. I, I made a lot of my decisions based on what I thought was fun at the time. And actually, if I'd known a bit more about what kind of lifestyle I wanted, I might not have gone straight into obstetrics and gynecology. I might have took a step back and thought, hang on maybe GP is the right thing to do although saying that I believe that everything that I've done has led me to this point so even if I change one thing I might not be where I am now so it's I think it's also about learning as you go along and accepting that yes okay things didn't go to plan at the time but you did the best you could with what you had at the time and that's it and then you make your change in your course correction and things change later on so I think I needed to know more about what I wanted out of my life, but also I wish I'd learned how to invest at the age of 18. Oh my God, I'd have been so, so much better off. And if I'd not got into so much debt, I would be so much further forward as well. So, hey, you live and you learn, but that's that's it. Yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. And I think, I guess that's the nice thing about medicine, isn't it? That you can kind of go into something and then if you know if, if you're finding it fun then great but if you reach a point where you think actually I'm not quite sure about this anymore then you can pivot and and change to course correct as as you said but that experience is never a waste like the fact that you were an obs and gynecology registrar for for several years is is really helpful in in your work as a GP now my next question is, um, have you ever been given any advice that you found really helpful that you would want to share with other people? There's so many pieces of advice that people could give me. I think one of the best things that I, not really from medicine, but from some of the books and some of the people that I listen to later on, there's this sunk cost fallacy thing of we've spent so much of our time doing a certain thing. Why are we throwing it all away? You know, I got one one GP said to me, why are you throwing away your obstetrics and gynecology? You've only got three years left and you'll be fully qualified as a consultant. And then if you wanted to do GP, you could do it after that. To me, that felt wrong because I, I couldn't imagine pushing myself through another three years of stress and anxiety and everything that was was going on for me at that point. So don't be afraid to change. I think that was the, the main message that I got. You know, if it's really not right, if you're really struggling... No matter how many years you go through, I just kept being told, go to the next year, the next year will be better. Go to the next year, the next year will be better. And I got to ST4, I was like, when is it going to get better? It's not, it's getting worse, if anything. So that's when I knew I had to finish and I had to, had to move along. And I, I finished my membership exams. We, and I did that because I wanted to draw a line under it. I didn't need to finish my membership exams, but I did them. What has it got me now? I don't really know if it's going to help me at any point, but at least it, it forced me to go 
through it and I you know when I did my GP exams I wasn't quite perhaps as stressed until I got to my practical and then it all fell apart but hey that's another story (laughs) so I would say don't be afraid to change if medicine is not for you or if you think that you want to do something different just because you spent 10 years of your life doing this one thing doesn't mean you can't change thank you that's that's really helpful advice to to share and I think you know the sunk costs fallacy is something that that we do whether in medicine or in life is something that we kind of fall into the trap of quite a lot because we think oh but I've spent all this time doing this and now I have to to keep doing it and yeah it's it's strange when you're a medical student you kind of get told oh once you become an F1 it'll be so much better and then when you're a foundation doctor people are always telling you like the next thing will be better and it'll get better and then you go to the next thing and you think I'm really not sure that this is getting (laughs) that this is getting better um so I wonder if we all just kind of tell ourselves that to just keep ourselves going but thank you for 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 highlighting that my last quick fire question is a question that i'm borrowing from the rcpch and us group who are a group of children and young people that work with the royal college of pediatrics and they asked this question last year when they were interviewing people for the role of president and i thought it was brilliant so they very kindly let me borrow the question and the question is if you were a biscuit what type of biscuit would you be and why oh i love that that's such a good question um oh what would i be i've never been asked this question before so this takes some thought um i think i'd have to be something tasty and with chocolate on it it's got to be chocolatey probably it can you do jaffa cakes count i never know yeah yeah they can count as a biscuit i think um i think it's actually a financial thing that i um i remember reading that they they, they're called cake so that if it's a cake and not a biscuit it changes like the VAT or the tax or something and that's why it's called a cake so we will call it a biscuit wow okay well anyway I just I think I like the the fact that it's chocolate it's got a bit of orange in there people generally like them it's all good and yeah I mean you can't dunk it in tea but that's fine too I don't really want to get wet (laughs) I think that is a, a very good answer to that question um I love Jaffa cakes But thank you so much, Nikki, for taking the time to come and speak to us and for sharing your wisdom. It's been really, really helpful. Where can people come and find you if they want to find out a little bit more? So website is full of information. It's thefemalemoneydoctor.com. Or you can find me on all the socials, um, literally on all of them, including TikTok now, which is great fun. Oh, cool. Come and find me. I mean, I don't, apart from LinkedIn, where I'm Dr. Nikki Ramskill, the rest of them I'm female money doctor. So if you type in, you, you should be able to find me on there. So come and find me. We'll, so we'll have a chat. Yep, wonderful. We'll put the links to all of those in the show notes. And Nikki has her own podcast, which is really, really helpful. It's, I find it really helpful. It's 10 minute episodes. So it's as if you're going and having a GP consultation about a specific topic in finance. And just remind me, it's the, the Money Medicine Clinic podcast. Thank you. I was just trying to remember the order of the words and didn't want to get it wrong. Yeah, that's all right. And it's um, so, yeah, 10 minute takeaways of different money topics, because I don't have a lot of time. I don't know about anybody else, but I hate listening to, you know, the ones that go on for like two hours and, and you have to come back and listen to them in chunks. Like, I'm, I'm very I've got a short attention span. So I did it in 10 minutes. Like, I think that's that's just my style. But there are some longer interviews in there as well, up to an hour of people that I've had interesting people I've had in my group and things. So yeah enjoy wonderful we'll put a link to all of that in the show notes so thank you so much Nikki is there anything that you want to finish with with telling our listeners 
I think it's so easy to get wrapped up into medicine and not think about anything else in your life, but medicine's only a very small part of that. So if you're aware of the kind of lifestyle you want and the kind of money you want to make and, and who do you want to be and how do you, where do you want to live? You know, all of these things are all really helpful and it will help to guide you. And it's, you come out of medical school and it's like the blink has come off and, and then you go into F1 and F2 and there's this big world out there. It's, there's so many other things that you can do and your, your skills are invaluable. So if it's not for you, somebody else will, will snap you up in something you were doing. And there's all sorts of amazing creative stuff that doctors and nurses and things can do out there that go way above medicine. So look out for them, keep your eyes open and you'll find them. Great. Thank you so much, Nikki. It's been so lovely speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Medical Women podcast. Make sure to subscribe for free on whichever podcast platform you listen on so that you can automatically get our episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be so grateful if you could rate and review the podcast. This is a brand new podcast and it would really help people to know that we exist. If you're interested in joining the Medical Women's Federation, we'd love to have you. And all links to our website and social media are in the show notes. This podcast has been produced on behalf of the Medical Women's Federation by Dr. Nathana Bankram and Miss Jenna McKenzie. Our music was composed and played by Miss Kithki Bankram. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again soon.